This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. Emmanuel Bebe with the ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. Oh man, yes. The dinosaurs are back. We're doing it again. We're running it back. Got Plez Honeywood and Brant Dolce from the Champagne Room once again. We we liked it so well last week we decided to run it back. We're, we're like TSJ and uh, Coleman Hawkins. We're going to run it back again. Shout out to our site manager, our fearless leader, Stephen Cohn, for... Uh, affectionately calling us fossils last week. I think it was affectionately, at least. I think so. <laughs> We're the grizzled veterans of the Champagne Room. Uh, so, Brant, Plez, thanks again for uh, hopping on this week and chatting about Illinois. We got uh, some more hoops and football to discuss. A lot of fallout from the NBA draft as well. And, and we're going to have some fun. Our own little sort of mock draft as it pertains to Illinois in just a bit. Uh, but first, uh, Brant, I want to start with you. Yes. I feel, I feel kind of weird. I didn't really talk a lot about Father's Day last week. And you know, I'd mentioned before that, you know, my father had recently passed away. This is my first Father's Day without my dad. Biggest Illini fan that I know. Mm -hmm. And uh, to that end, you had put together a really nice article last weekend about the Illinois gene and how you, know, you were born into this, whether you liked it or not. Your dad kind of instilled it in you to be an Illini fan. And Plez, you had noted something similar as well, that, you know, this, this a lot of fans specifically of a certain age kind of inherit their fanhood from family. Usually it's, you know, grandfathers or fathers or thereabouts. So um, just thought that was a really nice piece. It hit a lot of uh, notes for me. Struck a chord, certainly as someone who just recently lost my dad. Just go real quickly. We don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, just kind of, you know, recap that or kind of summarize your basically, your, it's your dad the, and the Illini for those that might not have seen that. Yeah, at the it's basically kind of what you lose. You know, it's kind of like the mafia a little bit, where you know, when you're a made guy, you become an Illinois fan when you're probably like, you know, in early grade school. Probably because there was a really good team or a coach you liked or the game was on TV. You can only see those games. Um, but my dad's been an Illinois fan for over 60 years, and he passed it along to me. And uh, just coincidentally, the reason I'm such a just a ridiculous psycho Illinois fan, my first sports memories ever are watching the final line in 88-89 when I was five and six. So yeah. that kind of got me hooked just right off the top and just a little bit of an ode to him and I wanted to thank him for passing that along to me and he didn't force it on me, but it's kind of one of those things. It's like, if you know, you know, thing. And yeah. you want to, you want to do like the things that your dad does, you know, you, yeah. you see your dad do something. I mean, how many, how many jobs do you see where it's the family business, whether it's 
sports or broadcasting or, you know, being a furnace repair man, you know, a lot of that stuff you get from, you know, just learning that stuff and and developing it over time from your, from your folks. The last thing I'll say about it is, and I didn't put a lot in there because I kind of ran out of of words, but try to keep it somewhat brief. But I think one of the reasons the bond with Illinois fans is so strong with other Illinois fans and people in their family, there has been so much heartache and so many close calls and, never been able to get it done. And I think the losing makes people, grows people tighter. You know, I think people yeah. are North Carolina fans their whole lives. Like they may see a North Carolina fan like a Deerberg or Schnooks and they might nod their head, but I mean, what hardships have they endured? I mean, and right. they have the same hat on because it's cool to do, but like wear an Illinois hat to Deerberg. That, that takes some guts. It's easy to wear yeah. a North Carolina hat in there. So like, I, I just think that's, that's kind of the uh, bind that ties, or tie that binds. Tie the binds. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yes. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, it didn't do too well from my view standpoint, but uh, it's okay. I, I really like the piece, and it was really written for an audience of one. It was my dad, and he loved it, so that was yeah. good enough for me. Yeah, there's a lot of the stuff that we write, and we're like, you know, you hope to get that big reaction, that big flood of stuff. Like uh, the champagne room right now, there's one about uh, bygone champagne establishments, and it's like, everyone's just like, oh my God, oh my God, there's this place and this place and this place. And that was just crazy. Like those things you expect to get a big reaction. Uh, but I do a lot of those, you know, kind of audience of one things as well too. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm proud of it. I know the person that's going to see it is going to appreciate it. Yeah. And and there's that. So I just I'm wanted to give you a shout out because we recorded that before you posted it last week. And then it was Father's Day. And I was like, how did I forget Father's Day? Like, I'm such a, like, we were just, we were caught up in our own mess of stuff and our own little uh, tangents and sidetracks, sure. which I'm sure will happen again today. But um, I just wanted to throw that at you real quick to give you some props for that. It was a great yeah, story. We, we were busy talking about Vilma, hashtag Vilma 2027 and Rick Patino hashtag seven or eight championships. So um, we got yes. a little sidetracked there probably. Hashtag Skip Dolce, hashtag Brant Bayless. <laughs> Yes. We might have some more hot takes later. We might. So uh, definitely check out that at the champagneroom.com. Lots of great stuff about uh, football as well. But I want to start with basketball. That was kind of the uh, the big topic of the week with the NBA draft just wrapping up and uh, some more roster machinations. It's almost like we predicted this was going to happen. And then poof, here it is. I'm like, like uh Lavar Ball, we're manifesting it, we're speaking it into existence on Oski Talk. Um, so let's start with the NBA draft on uh Thursday. We know, of course, that Coleman Hawkins and Terrence Shannon Jr. uh withdrew their names from consideration for the NBA draft. And based on the folks that were chosen on Thursday, seems like that was probably a pretty good decision to uh not keep their hat in. Um, I guess the big Illini adjacent news is uh, Brandon Pajimski going 19th overall to Golden State. Had that one really fantastic game against Northwestern. And then uh, that was kind of the, the best we saw of Brandon Pajimski. Um, but he goes to Santa Clara, he transfers to the West Coast Conference and just balls out just goes crazy, was co-West Coast Conference Player of the Year alongside Drew Timmy, who's 
probably one of the 10 best college basketball players of the last 10 years and just goes nuts and lands himself a, a pretty uh, plum gig with the Splash Brothers, Golden State, trying to keep that championship window open. And maybe a guy like uh, Brandon Pajimski in a, in a bench role or reserve role could certainly uh, help provide that. But uh, Illini Twitter had some things to say. They had some thoughts following the draft as it uh, relates to Brandon Pajimski. Uh, most of the chatter was about how Brad Underwood let Hods get away. How could you not find a spot for him? Brad Underwood should be fired. That was probably my, my favorite one because, you know, all of our big brain Illini fans wanted to fire Brad Underwood for not playing a guy in which a year in which they won the big 10 championship, by the way, uh, look, I'll, I'll just say this. I've been on record of saying this a lot, and then I will uh, give the floor to you, Brant and Plez. I love Pods. I was very high on him when he came out of Wisconsin. He's Mr. Basketball in the state of Wisconsin. You like just read his stats and saw his tape, and you're like, this is not a human being. This is a video game character. It's cliche now it gets overused about a person being a cheat code, but he was averaging like 39 points a game his senior year of high school. He was like an 85% free throw shooter. He was like a 45% three-point shooter. Like he was the best rebounder in the West Coast Conference as a 6'5 guard. Dude had a broad skill set. He got stuck behind Luke Goody and RJ Melendez. Plummer was also there. Grandison was there. DeMonte was there. Trent Frazier was there. He wasn't going to be that high usage player at Illinois that he later became at Santa Clara. I'm happy for him. I'm pissed that Illinois couldn't find a better way to utilize him or didn't see his potential. Or, you know, there's that quote about Brad Underwood said he couldn't play in the Big Ten or something. I don't know if that's word for word what he said, but that's at least what was portrayed is that he couldn't play in the Big Ten. Whatever. It happens. Guys go elsewhere and thrive all the time. I wish him well. I think he's going to be a really, really good NBA player. And I wish that he was still at Illinois. Nonetheless, I'm happy for him. Brad Underwood whiffed on it a little bit. He's not going to get fired, or nor should he. Well, first of all, I, I think that it's it's cool that he's going to Golden State. I played at Santa Clara, so obviously they had access to watch a lot of his games. He was able to do things at Santa Clara, to your point, that if he had stayed at Illinois, he wouldn't have been able to do those things. Remember, Underwood wanted to go in a different direction roster-wise. He wanted more lanes, bigger wings, etc. So Podjemski didn't really fit what the roster construction goals were. And so he went to a different place and... I don't know why anyone would be mad at Pods. He took advantage of an opportunity. He played extraordinarily well. And as a score shooter type player going to Golden State, where there are two pretty good guys who were also not overwhelming physical freaks coming out of college who made great livings in the NBA are right there, including Clay Thompson went to Washington State and Steph Curry went to Davidson. So they didn't go from go, from, go to powerhouse 
programs yep. either. And, and, and on top of that, they just traded Jordan Poole. So there's a rotation spot for someone who is a versatile guard who can hit an open shot. So I think he landed in a great situation. I'm happy for him. I'm rooting for him. And I hope that he has continued success playing in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think it's not just Underwood missed on Pajemski and decided to go in a different direction. He was in the portal for, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks. And no one in the Big Ten took a shot at him. No one in the ACC took a shot at him. No one in the Big 12 took a shot at him. No one in the American. He ends up at Santa Clara, which, you know, they had, they had a guy drafted. One of the Jalen Williamses that was drafted last year was from there. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily completely off the grid, but at the same time, like, it wasn't like anyone else was jumping on this kid and then he went to another Power 5 school and did something. But yeah. I, I, will, I will say this. I don't think Pajemski, as Les just said, I don't think Pajemski would be in this position had he been in Illinois. So maybe this is one of those things that it was maybe better for both because he got to have a fresh start and Illinois got to pick a different kid that maybe fit their yeah. system more. So this is kind of like a trade in baseball where one team needs a closer and one team needs a center fielder and they kind of make a trade and it helps both teams. Yeah. Brand Dolce, Plez Honeywood joining me on Oski Talk this week. Uh, more more NBA draft kind of fallout. We mentioned Terrence Shannon Jr. and Coleman Hawkins. We knew they were not going to be in the draft. There was no Illinois investment in the draft as far as current players. But just like going down the line here, Michigan had a couple of guys drafted in the first round, which, okay, I'll spare my jokes for uh, for another time. I will say this, you know, Joan Howard gets a lot of flack, and de deservedly so. You think about the fact that he had the number 11 pick in the draft, his son Jet, the number 15 pick in the draft, Kobe Buckin, and the best big man in America, Hunter Dickinson. He went 11-9 and nine in the Big Ten that I think won two tournament games, and they lost in the NIT. I mean, it's just it's remarkably ridiculous how underperforming that team was. They had, it's a run, they had it, seven points with a minute forty five to go and forced overtime and won. It's a very uh, dare I say, dare I invoke the name? It's very Zookian, if I do say so myself. Oh my, that's that's mind blowing how good that is. We're gonna bring in all these four and five star guys, and we're gonna be really fun to watch. But we're we're going to win just a teensy weensy bit to make you think that we're going somewhere and then nothing happens. So maybe you agree, maybe you don't. It, just, it seems very Zookian to me. Ron Zook could get the flashy recruits to come to Illinois or his coaches could do that, but then it didn't really materialize on the field. Um, aside from the Michigan guys, uh, two Penn State guys get drafted, Jalen Pickett, and Seth Lundy. Um, I forget who drafted Pickett, but if they get the versus Illinois version of Jalen Pickett, he's going to win like 15 scoring championships, probably going to win 10 MVP awards because <laughs> Jalen Pickett just murdered Illinois this season. Like just crazy. The only one that decimated Illinois in a single game. Um, and then uh, Trace Jackson Davis goes second to last, which kind of surprised me. I thought he would go a little bit higher. Um, it's a Big Ten. Uh, Chris Murray from from Iowa going late first round to to Portland. 
So there was some representation there. Uh, Sensabaugh from Ohio State went 28th, 27th, somewhere in that range as well. But this brings me back to the conversation about Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins opting out. Um, I don't have the projections in front of me. I think, I want to say the last one I saw, TSJ was rated like 35th to 40th, somewhere in that range. And Coleman Hawkins was like 50th. Uh, so could they have been drafted? Sure. Was it a, a guarantee? Absolutely not. And look at some of these other names. I mentioned Drew Timmy earlier. One of the best college basketball players of this era. A lot of these like veteran, polished, experienced players we're kind of getting left out. And this is just kind of a greater critique I have regarding the draft, specifically the NBA. And I'll, I'll ask you guys for your thoughts on this too. The NBA now, it's, it's almost like you're punishing players for wanting to stay in college and get better. Like there's no spot for you. We want this 18-year-old guy who in three years – might give us like 10 points a game. <laughs> but this 22-year-old who got you 25 points a game in college, we don't have room for him. He's too old. His ceiling is very low. His floor is, they want high ceiling guys. They want, it's like you go to the convenience store and you get a scratch-off ticket or a Powerball ticket. You're hoping that every guy you draft is a winning lottery ticket instead of a guy you know could contribute. Uh, I'm going to give JJ Redick some credit. Um, the draft coverage was overall pretty terrible by ESPN. I mean, Billis, I love Jay Billis. He's like the only guy on that set that even watches college basketball. Uh, but I'll say this about JJ Redick. He nailed it when he's talking about veteran players or win now players, as he called them, your Io DeSumus, your uh, guys of that ilk. Iota Sumu is not going to go to a terrible team and help them win. He's not going to turn over the fortunes of a Houston, an OKC, a San Antonio. But you put him on a team like the Bulls, who is, you know, a playoff team or a team that's trying to make the playoffs, you know, a team like the Celtics or a team like the Sixers, you know, that are trying to win right now. I think those are better landing spots for those veteran players than some guy we've never seen that played four minutes a game in overtime elite. It's odd. It's the NBA drafts on potential more than like actual productivity. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going to change. Maybe that's just uh, one of the three old guys on this dais just uh, yelling at the clouds, but I hope that TSJ and Coleman get better and improve their stock, and then they might end up in a better landing spot, you know, a playoff caliber team or something like that next year. Uh, Brant, what do you think? Well, I think your last point there, I think, was your kind of your most insightful. You, made, you said a lot of good things, but I think the last point there is, you know, you're going to draft someone, you're not going to draft them for what they've done. You're going to draft them for what you think they're capable of doing. And it's just odd to me. You see some of these people on this list and they're getting drafted. Like a perfect example for me is Jaime Hawkes Jr. from UCLA. 
it's just it's amazing you know he can kind of do he's a do everything guy he's going to fit right in with the heat he's a perfect culture fit there they're, they're big about culture down in miami yeah but i was at the game when illinois played them and colin hawkins largely guarded jaime Hawkins, and he was like six for 23 from the floor so it's just interesting that the one guy he faced that's kind of that he's going to kind of see at the next level which has some athleticism and length like hawkins does and knows how to use and leverage it he i mean he ended up scoring 20 something points but he took 25 shots like i think yeah. he's i i think he's going to turn into a, a kind of a culture player and like to your point the heat aren't building the heat are kind of built uh presently so that's a guy that he can if he can give them 14 to 17 minutes next year and average you know eight nine points and four rebounds and just not cause any problems. He's perfect for them. But if he goes somewhere like the pick before him, Jalen Hood Shafina, who I think is going to be unbelievable in the NBA, he goes to the Pacers, who aren't quite as ready made, but he's still going to get a big run. It's just interesting. Some of these, some of these people out here I haven't seen, nor have I heard of them. Um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of a byproduct too of just like transfer portal and NIL and all that kind of stuff. I think it, that's a byproduct of it too. Is that you don't get that type of investment in the players, like from a like a fan perspective or a viewership perspective. You know, the NBA draft used to be this big deal. And like, you're going to see the next generation of future stars. And now it's just like, well, we've got something to do at 730 on Thursday night. So why not watch the draft for a couple hours? Like nobody other than like Wembenyama, who seems to be like an alien creature uh, that everyone seems almost universally to say he is going to be so, so, so good. No one's okay. saying, no one's comping him to like Chet Holmgren. You know what I mean? They're like they're saying this dude is the goods. He's legit. He's going to change the game. You got LeBron and Giannis and those guys saying the league's in trouble when he comes in. So other than him, Who, I, Bilal, if if either one of you Bilal Koulibaly, if you can pick him out of a lab, I'll give you I'll give you five hundred dollars. If Bilal, he had a sandwich Bilal, board that said "Hi, I'm Bilal Koulibaly," I'd be like, "Cool, man, good for you." I'm Drew Pastoric. Nice to meet you. Really tall. Uh, but he played he played on the same team as Wembenyama, and so it's a lot like the football recruiting thing, like, oh, we went to see player A, but damn, player B might be a pretty good fit for us too. And so he he wound up, uh, he wasn't supposed to go seven, but uh, I think last I saw he was like, he had like a late first round grade or something. And then he just, they ended up, dra uh, Pacers drafted him for the Wizards. But yeah, to your point, like, who is giving these guys advice, first of all? Because you know before the draft even starts, before the season starts, like we knew Wembenyama two years ago was going to be the number one pick in the draft. You know going into the season, 25 or 30 guys at least that are going to get drafted. And so that leaves you with about 30 more picks and you've got 200, 300, 400 kids declaring for the draft. And there's like, 90 of them that stay in. I'm like, this isn't the NFL where some guy who's got a grade of 112 gets picked 12th. Like, that doesn't happen in the NBA. 
you know, the NFL, you'll see guys with, you know, first, uh, like third round grades or late second round grades. Some team takes a chance on them late in the first round or something. You'll see that occasionally. That doesn't happen in the NBA. If you if you're graded at pick 10, you might go 10, but you might go 40th. If you're graded 40th, you're probably not going 10th. So if you're graded 75th, why would you stay in the draft? It just doesn't make sense. So it's like, if you just want to go make money, that's fine. Go make money. I don't begrudge you for doing that. But like, I just don't know who's in their ears making those decisions. Plez, what were your thoughts? I've been ranting for like 20 minutes about the draft. Like my kid got passed over or something. So uh, Plez, what say you? I think that the way draft prospects are evaluated by the NBA is a huge indictment of college basketball because what the evaluation basically says is the more time you spend playing college basketball, the less likely we are to really want you in our league. And, you know, you, you hear you hear Mark Cuban saying, if I could have a team full of European players, I would. And yeah. – now, I think that comment might be more geared toward the AAU system than it is toward the NCAA. But to, to that point, you know, these these experiences, I remember growing up as a college basketball fan, I remember being able to see a guy for two or three years. And then that wouldn't, like, I remember the, the draft where Glenn Big Dog Robinson went number one, you know, multi-year player at Purdue. And then Jason Kidd, multi-year player at Cal, Grant Hill, three, you know, four-year player at Duke. Like that was just the norm. The guys who stayed that long could still be seen as being able to help an NBA team. Whereas now that's not the perception. Players are evaluated on tools and projectability, not on what they what what comes out on film, except the projectable tools that come out on film. So that's why I'm happy for a guy like Podjimski. Who, yeah. who went to a team like Golden State that actually does have a habit of evaluating guys based on their college productivity and saying, okay, this is a person who's been here for a, who's who's got more experience playing the game. So that person is a better fit to learn our system than someone with no experience, which is why a guy like James Wiseman might not be in Golden State anymore oh. right now. He might be, he might be in Detroit where, uh, they're yeah. more likely to take those guys with with less experience and try to put together a team of young mutant athletic freaks. They keep missing the playoffs. Just saying. Imani Bates, another great example. Oh yes, a guy who best probably example. best who, example. Who had he stayed? Had he just gone to the draft last year? We're probably talking about him as a top five pick, maybe even the number one pick in the draft. And now. He's- he goes to Eastern Michigan, which, I mean, he's from Ipsy. He went to school at Ipsy, so it makes sense. That was kind of a cool thing for him to do. But, I mean, we he wasn't going to stay there. It was just kind of a, well, I can always go back here. They'll want me here. And he went, like, what, 47th or 48th? Yeah, 49th. Like 49th that. to Cleveland. 49th yeah. to the Cavaliers. Can, can I just say, James Brown, that's what your future could look like if you if you don't slow down. Um, leaving leaving St. Rita and going, you know, and, and, and trying to get into a different 
sort of ecosystem when you're the highest thought of prospect now, the two other guys, your teammates from last year, St. Rita, Marez Johnson, and uh, Noyes and Decidus are both now ahead of you. Like, you are on the Imani Bates curve in a hurry if you don't rein it in real quickly. I'm off my soapbox now. Did you go to, was it IMG or Montverde or where did he have one, one, one of the basketball factory schools where he thinks he's going to be the man. We'll see if he is. Maybe, listen, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be wrong. I, I don't wish any ill will. He seems like a wonderful kid, but I, there's something to be said for, you know, looking at your prospect pedigree slide right when it needs to be important. I mean, is UNC going to keep their commitment to you? They'll, they will, part, I shouldn't use this as a verb, they will cream you in a second if you if they don't think you're the guy to bring them back to championship prominence. Hubert Davis's seat is warming up in Chapel Hill. So James Brown, had better, he, he better produce wherever he goes because he's, again, he's on that Imani Bates kind of trajectory, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, that's a whole other thing we could get into with like Illinois recruiting in-state kids or kids choosing to not go to the state school, so to speak. Like they should look to IO as an example, not as an exception, in my opinion. Um, but that's a whole different topic. We could spend another two hours talking about that probably. Um, one a little fun with you guys. So in honor of the NBA drafts, Thought it'd be fun to uh, kind of go through our own draft, our all-time Illini starting five. And you can use whatever criteria you want to use. It could be just your favorite players from growing up, favorite players to watch. It could be statistically. Doesn't really matter. There was only one or two that were pretty easy for me. The rest of it, I was kind of going back and forth. But uh, uh Les, we'll start with you. What's your uh, your list? Your your top five. Your your all time starting five. I'll even be generous. I'll even uh, I'll even have a sixth man in the mix there as well to make it a little bit less of a difficult decision. So I decided to go with like my, uh, the best combination of best and favorites. But if I just were to stick to favorites, it would be nothing but Nana Egwu from my high school, Saint Ignatius, Chicago. And okay. uh, Sergio and Sergio McLean, who I who actually was in my freshman orientation at U of I, who was a great dude back in the day. So like that, it would be just those guys multiple times. But instead, I'm gonna go with uh, my my sixth man first, and I'm gonna already make everyone mad. My sixth man is Darren Williams, all time great, tremendous player, uh, had the best NBA career of anyone who's on this list. Um, but yeah, uh, big fan of his game. Uh, he's my sixth man. The man in the middle, this was the easiest call for me. What center would I pick? It's Kofi. Uh, Kofi was a dominant force. He was a first-team All-American. He's a Jersey in the rafters guy, great ambassador for the program. So he's definitely my center. Uh, right forwards, I'll start with one of the GOATs, Deion Thomas. From a statistical standpoint, it's hard to argue that that dude left a legacy. From, yeah. an off the court, from an off-the-court perspective, he was the eye of the hurricane that caused a lot of stress for a lot of our fan base and for the <laughs> basketball program and athletic department itself. <laughs> so his, his significance cannot ever be understated. Um, so I'll go with him. The other forward I'll go with is uh, 
Nick Anderson because not only was he a great player and not only did he have a good NBA career, but, you know, he transferred to Simeon to play high school basketball with a young man named Benjamin Wilson, which is one of the mm-hmm. most legendary tragic stories. Ben Wilson grew up a block away from me and my family. So, and my mom taught in Chicago public schools. So that, that story in my household is one of the first like realizations that I had of how dangerous the world was. And it was a really like a real watershed moment for myself and my evolution as a very, very young child. So uh, Nick Anderson has a special place in my heart for holding that place for the Illini. Uh, the two guards, if Darren Williams is my sixth man, then the two starting guards should be very, very obvious. It's the two guys who were the program changers, the guys for whom the last two great eras of Illini basketball don't exist without them. D Brown, the one-man fast break, uh, one of our all-time favorites, one of the most fun guys socially on campus, uh, one of the best, you know, shining lights of what a fun, awesome college basketball player should look like, play like, sound like, and be like. And uh, Loco Dos, Io Dosumu, I absolutely was so thankful. I have family who went to Morgan Park, and I have family who taught at Morgan Park. That's a very important school in my world. And Io represents the South Side of Chicago, MP High, the University of Illinois, and the Chicago Bulls extraordinarily well. Killer in the clutch. Evolved, got better every year. One of the easiest players to root for I've ever seen. He was okay being coached tough. He just Absolutely. kept getting better and better. As we all know, evolution is a mystery. But Io's evolution was clear. It was straight through for his three years. And I think we should all we should we're never gonna forget it's time some of the big shots that he hit. Love that list. Yeah, that was the those were all definitely players that I was tossing back and forth as well. So I'm glad we're on kind of a similar wavelength there. Uh so just to recap, Plez, you have your starting five, Kofi, De- uh, Dion Thomas, all-time leading scorer in Illinois history, Nick Anderson, part of that flying Illini crew, of course, and then D. Brown and Io DeSumo in your in your backcourt. And then, of course, Darren Williams, not a bad choice as a sixth man. I think uh, most people would take that. So that's a that's a damn good list. That's a good way to start. Uh, Brant, what about you? You're uh, you're starting five and you're sixth man as well. So I look at this, and when you when you texted this to us, I thought, all right, I'm going to put a team together that I think they can win the national championship right now. With the way the roles are, the way the game's played, um, what I've seen. Mark Allstork. And so I I kind of cheated here. I did seven guys. I did honorable mention, and uh, just because he's a really good player, but. I'm going to leave him off because this is a really hard thing to do. I was my honorable mention for all the things that Plez just said. Uh, first guy off the bench is going to be guard heavy for me. And my first guard coming off the bench is Mr. Kiwan Garris. Um, loved watching him play growing up. I was like, I had a Kiwan Garris jersey in like fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade that I wore as much as my mom would wash it. Um, lone blemish on his record clearly is the two missed free throws at the end of the first overtime of the bragging rights game to which Illinois eventually lost, but um, he can do pretty much anything you need a guard to do, especially with the way he can get to the hoop and make free throws. He would be excellent in today's game. So he's my first guy off the bench. So here's my starting five. So I've got four guards and I've got a forward center. 
So I think this guy here is probably the most underrated basketball player in Illinois since I've been alive. And my starting center slash forward is Brian Cook. Um, I think with his versatility, being able to guard not only ball screens, but shoot from the perimeter, I think he put a lot of uh, big men in a lot of problems. And as good of a passer as he is, he's, he's no Jokic, but he can do pretty much anything on a basketball court. So I'm going to have him as my uh, starting center. Uh, to me, to me, the the most obvious one on this list for me is my starting point guard. That's Darren Williams. I saw him play. He come up huge in big games. Extremely smart. Was never in foul trouble. Never threw the ball away. Played his best at the biggest times. Um, very good. Seemed like a very good kid. Had an excellent NBA career. So Darren Williams is my starting point guard. Next most obvious one for me probably is my two guard. It's D Brown. Um, one of the best college basketball players I've ever seen. If he was just a little bit bigger, he would have probably had a 10-year-plus career in the NBA. But just his size, I think, was a big hindrance. And he did play on the Jazz for a little bit with uh, with Williams there when he came over from Europe. Uh, my, I got one lefty in the bunch, but I gave that one away. So my three-man's Kendall Gill. Um, I think if Kendall Gill played right now, he is, he is for sure a top four or five pick in the NBA draft. I think his game would translate so well right now. Unbelievably good athlete. Um, plays two ways. I like lefties because they're a little different. They're a little harder to guard because it's just different. And then this is one I thought long and hard about. And I'm as much uh, stuff as I've talked about DeMonte Williams, and he's kind of my guy that I just picked on a lot. I had a guy that I really liked. And I know he's not in either one of yours, but my fourth guy – given that we have Williams, Brown, and Kendall Gill, and Brian Cook, and we're going to run a lot, and we're going to play a lot of uh, up and down. Fourth guy on my list is Brandon Paul. I think if Brandon Paul had played for a uh, college coach, knew anything about uh, the offensive end of the board except for screen pass and screen away and run motion in Bruce Weber, I think if Brandon Paul plays for the former Illinois coach who is now Kansas, Bill Self, Brandon Paul is for sure a top 10 or 15 draft pick. Unbelievably good athleticism. 43 points against Ohio State, the, the one game I clearly remember. So that's my that's my starting five. And I, I think that team would be in position to win the national championship in 23-24. And who was your uh, your honorable mention? You said you had a seventh guy. Who was that? Yeah, I, I was my honorable mention. Kiwan Garris coming off the bench for me. Whew. And I wouldn't be scared to play Kiwan Garris and play all five of those guards at once at all. Yeah, that's that, that man. That's a hell of a list. Okay, so you have Io as your honorable mention. Yeah, I cheated. John Garris as your sixth man off the bench. Brian Cook, Darren Williams, D. Brown, Kendall Gill, and and I was not expecting BP three. So uh, that I'm cool with that. I like that. Well, I kind of I was kind of looking at a couple of different guys. Obviously, I, I thought about Io, but I mean Io's not. He's not a great hand on the ball. He's kind of more of a. I don't know. I just Kofi also considered, but I mean, yeah. I just feel like I, I Brian Cook was born about twelve years too early. Yep. If he could have came out ten years later, he would have been he would have been he would have made hundreds of millions of dollars in the NBA. This is this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, I I had fun with it too. Um, so the one the easiest one for me, like no brainer, no doubt, put it in Sharpie was D Brown. So we're all in accordance there. Uh, as Plez alluded to, one-man fast break. I think still to this day, fastest player end-to-end -end I've ever seen 
on a basketball court, just electrifying. And as you said, uh, Brant, I think he he got some demerits because of his size. He's about like 5'11", maybe six feet tall, but just the handles, the speed, the quickness, decision-making, and just uh, as Plez said, you know, he was that guy, like he put the stamp on the program, like he is the face of that team. Darren had a better NBA career, had more longevity. D Brown, I think, is the guy we're still going to look at, you know, 20, 30 years from now, the most fondly on is like, if you saw him play, you knew that was something special. So I'm glad that, uh, that D is on all three of our lists. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brant, for mentioning Kiwan Garris. That was a very difficult one for me. Um, but that was, and I've alluded to this before, that was kind of the first player that I have vivid memories of watching or listening uh, listening to games on the radio. That to me is like, how could I make this list and leave him off just from an emotional standpoint? And, you know, thinking about my dad and listening to these games and seeing him, and it's like, he's got to be on there for me, no doubt. Um, I've got Io in my starting lineup as well uh, for a lot of the reasons Plez talked about. Tough as nails, clutch performances. He was one of the guys that helped put Illinois back on the map. You know, it's a jersey in the rafters type of player. Um, you know, NBA career for this argument, for this illustration doesn't really matter, but he's off to a good start. Um, and said he was that guy that Brad Underwood got. That was like his big first marquee player that stuck around, you know, Mark Smith was immediately before that, but IO was the next in line and he proved why, you know, the, the accolades were there. He lived up to the, uh, the hype there. So I got D Brown, Kiwan Garris, IO in my backcourt. This is where things got a little fuzzy for me. Cause it's like, there's like seven or eight guys you could put in here and you can't really argue with either of them. Um, I did wind up with uh, Kendall Gill on my list as well uh, for the athleticism, the well-roundedness. He was a great defensive player as well, led the NBA in steals one season. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me now, but uh, he was uh, a very well-rounded player as far as the shooting goes and the scoring, um, but also you know played really good defense, was a good rebounder for a guy who was kind of undersized for his position. Uh, even back then. And that was a staple of the flying Illini in 88, 89 was, it was like five dudes who were kind of the same size doing the same things. And we dare you to stop it. Um, and so right, Kendall, you got the numbers on that drew in, in 98, yeah. 99 playing for the New Jersey Nets. Kendall Gill of the NBA and steals with 2.7 per game. It's an absurd number. Absurd That's insane. Number. Um, so this one, yeah, I, I'm kind of on the fence. Um, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to waffle on it, but I did go ultimately with my starting center. That would be uh, another member of the 0405 squad. How could y'all leave off James Augustine? Y'all come on. I think he's still the only player in Illini history with a thousand points and a thousand rebounds. Um, all-time leading rebounder at Illinois was a very athletic big man. Again, I think a little bit ahead of his time. If he's 
playing in this era or even five or six years later. Uh, I think he's looked at much more favorably and not as overshadowed as, as he might have been. Uh, six foot ten, lefty, soft touch around the basket, all-time field goal percentage leader for the Illini as well, 62% or thereabouts. Um, for as efficient as Kofi was, James Augustine was even better and uh, wasn't as high volume of a shooter either as um, as Kofi because he could defer to other guys. But uh, great around the rim, great rebounder, really, really a well-rounded player. And uh, just that's that's like my team that I – you know, I was in college when the when that 0405 team hit, and it was just like I get hit in the feels every time I watch them play and, and watch those highlights and think about that. So, um, and then my sixth man, I'm going Kofi off the bench. Um, I think you put Kofi Coburn in 15 to 18 minutes a game. You could probably have him and James Augustine on the floor together as a four-five combo. Um, cause Augustine was like six ten and had some handles a little bit, had a little bit of mixture there. Uh, certainly guys, you, uh, that we all left off that we could have easily included, you know, from the flying Illini, you know, Kenny battle could have been on there. Marcus Liberty could have been on there for sure. Ooh, you know, man. we all, we all left off Frankie Williams too, which is also like yeah. blasphemy of sorts. Like how do we leave him off there? But Again, this is there's no right or wrong answer. It's just it's just kind of a a fantasy thing. Corey Bradford is another guy for me. Like you need a bucket off the bench. Not many better guys you could have than Corey Bradford. I kind of went back and forth between Corey Bradford and Kiwan Garris there. Uh certainly Brian Cook, as you alluded to, I made I made a very short list, and Brian Cook was certainly on that as well. Uh, Malcolm Hill, you could argue he should be on there too, meriting uh consideration there as well. Um, I almost put, uh, I had, I almost had Malcolm Hill instead of Kendall. Well, yeah. Ultimately came down to Brandon Paul and Malcolm Hill. Yeah. Um, I was like, man, I just, I don't know. It's just, I think Malcolm Hill again, again, with a better coach, better system with better coaching. He was, he was an excellent college basketball player. He was the, I think the second or third all-time leading scorer in Illinois history. Like third. Malcolm Hill was a just a tremendous player and doesn't get enough credit. I think for those reasons you said, Brant, because he came in right after that last tournament team. So Gross had, you know, that first year he had that tournament team with you know Brandon Paul, DJ Richardson, another guy who I had jotted down just as consideration. They leave then. The next year, Malcolm Hill comes in. He doesn't get to play in the tournament at all. It's just a, just a complete travesty that Malcolm Hill never got to play one second of the NCAA tournament. It's just awful. It's not that hard um, to make the NCAA tournament. It's not that hard you, to do. You know, especially in a, in, a, in one class, like one grad, one cycle, like four or five years. Four years? Like, you could make it in four years in one yeah. time? All, you, all we need, all we want is one. All we care about is one. I'm not greedy. Give me one. Hey, one Sweet 16? One? Since the last time Illinois made the Sweet 16, that if that was a human being, they'd be graduating high school next spring. That's how long it's been. 2005. Yeah. It, it's, it's just amazing. It really is. 
it's just amazing that they can't win. They well, we talk about Underwood for a while, but like, you know, well, I I think this year, I said it last year, but I think this year they're going to be set up for as long as they put Ty Rogers at point guard, we'll be fine. Brant Dolce, Plez Honeywood, joining me on Oski Talk. Um, speaking of point guard, just real quick, we did find out earlier this week that Jeremiah Williams is now no longer an Illini. He decommitted. What was your favorite part of that era, those two weeks he was an Illini? Um, so he had transferred from Iowa State, but he didn't play for Iowa State because he had a torn Achilles, and it was like, up in the air as if he was even going to play this year anyway. I just, th- this whole thing is just weird to me. And I think I had, I had sent you some stuff. I, I, we were texting back and forth last night. Like, so Illinois misses out on Ray J Dennis and everyone's like, Oh my God. Like it was tailor made for Ray J Dennis to go to Illinois. He's going to fit right in. You're going to plug and play him right away. And then he goes to Baylor and it's like, Oh my God, they missed Ray J. Dennis, and this is terrible, and it's malpractice, and they can't recruit anybody. And then they get Jeremiah Williams, and it's like he gets treated as this consolation prize because the guy that like 9% of the fans saw actually play wasn't going to come to Illinois. And so fans criticize that because they get a point guard, but then he can't play because he's injured. And now they're out of scholarships and what do they do? And they're going to have to get rid of somebody else. And then Jeremiah Williams announces he's decommitting. And now that is also a failure. So it's bad that they signed him and it's also bad that he's leaving. So it's like, like, can we just make up our minds? Like, are we happy about something? Are we mad about something? Like, Getting Jeremiah Williams was bad, but losing him is also bad and somehow worse. So well, you can you can bet your bottom dollar that Underwood's trying to find something in the, in the portal for point guard. Of like course he is. He was trying to do it yeah. before. Of yeah, course, yes. he was. You, you know, the, well, as as like Brent, I'm sure you're thinking the same thing I am, which is that you know losing out on Jeremiah Williams forces Illinois to to gamble on their future of next season with uh their current point guard situation which you know is is still up in the air but you know sometimes you make a bad bet and it doesn't pay off and you know you're you're left at the table and you got it so you got to fold your hand and you know go back to the drawing board and and hope that you find uh, an adequate replacement who's you know who's who's ready to run the offense and not take you know i don't know undue risks and, uh, you know, go afoul of the rules that are in place. And, you know, if you find a point guard like that or a Ty Rogers like that, then, you know, maybe maybe next season goes pretty well. What do you guys think? Yeah, you know, I think Ty Rogers is willing to take some chances for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how much he's going to just outright gamble with the ball and just kind of make some poor decisions and, you know, go against the odds. But I think Ty Rogers has enough ability to be able to calculate the best option and you know I, I i think i could probably call him kenny rogers at this point i think he knows when to hold him when to fold him um definitely <laughs> he knows when to walk away and definitely knows when to run um so yeah that, that whole story took a weird turn didn't it it was like he's linked to this gambling or this this betting thing and it's like 
Ooh, like, I guess it's probably better that he's just not a part of the program because, yeah, wow. Okay. So we got one Scully, right? We got one Scully left? One left. One left. So yeah. I, I would I, – it's obviously been a little tongue-in-cheek here, but I really – I think I've made my mind up that I am completely fine with Ty Rogers coming into the first game against Eastern Illinois as the starting quote-unquote point guard. Completely fine with it. But I don't think you need a point guard just to throw one in there. I mean, if it's not a top guy that you can start right away, just get the best player you can and see yeah. what you can do. I don't. But I'm uh, completely fine with Ty Rogers at the one. Uh, Plez, what's the uh, the name of the kid that decommitted from Kansas? So we've got Chris Johnson and yeah. Simeon yeah. Wilcher, who both have requested releases from their letters of intent from Kansas and Carolina, respectively. Those are blue chip high end prospects who, you know, if you can get if you can get a guy like that, of course. But right. you know, so so there are there are guys available. There are some players in the portal. I haven't heard them linked to Illinois, so I can't you know comment as to no. the likelihood there. But there there is some talent available. If you can go out and get a top guy like that, obviously your roster's you know ceiling you know grows immensely. I would say just just to that point, like. I think just for the class balance aspect of things, like maybe it's better to go after a, a prep prospect because um, the the incoming freshman class you got Hansberry and, and Gibbs Lawhorn, but after that you're you're left with nothing. And then you know even when Morez Johnson comes in, so far I think that's the only 2024 commit they have. So the only just, one we need, baby. It's the only <laughs> one we need. Can't wait for he's him. Gonna, to get he's gonna take oh. us to the to the mount for sure. Oh. Um, but I think that's uh, you know, if it were me, and I, I'm with you guys, I, I think I feel pretty confidently that you, know, you have some in-house options there already. But if you can get uh Wilcher or Johnson, thank you, Plus, for that. Um, then certainly, like, not gonna say no. If this five-star kid wants to come here, we're not going to say, oh, woo. You're not going to hold off. We do really well with five-star point guards that decommit from other places. We've had a lot of of success with that recently, especially if they're named after uh, the blue expanse above the earth. That's really good. Um, But, you know, four-star, five-star, three-star, two-star. Pajemski plays six minutes a game and 14 games for Illinois. Goes to Santa Clara's the number 19 pick in the draft. Here's what I want. The most important, the most important position in college basketball is shooter. Whoever you bring in, make sure you can shoot. You know, Connecticut won every game of the NCAA tournament by double digits. And they did have some big guys. And uh, Sunogo was a really good college center, much like almost a clone of Kofi, to be honest. But they won because when they were open and they shot him. And um, if you know when the guy's open and he shoots it, it's going to go in. You can't leave them open, and it gives you a little space. And yeah. I, I think, like this year, you put – is it – what's the emphasis? Is it Damask or Damask? Damask. Damask in one quarter, in one corner. Luke Goody in the other corner. Ty Rogers with the ball, or Terrence Shannon with the ball, and Hawkins setting a screen. What do you – you got – the floor is going to have space. It just is. Last year, they didn't have any space anywhere because – yeah, Illinois was going to shoot 37 threes, and yeah, they were probably going to make seven of them. If you got guys that can shoot, you're going to be able to, you're, you're going to be able to win games. So I think Goody, and I wrote about it, I, I think Goody was like 
he was kind of like the forgotten man last year. It was like, oh, he, he was hurt so early. Yeah. And I've, I've seen people like even in, the, in our thread on TCR say like, well, maybe he can be like the eighth guy. I was like, what? Like he was going to start. He was penciled in. He was penciled in to be a starter last year. Yeah. He, I would not be surprised if he averaged 17 or 18 points this year. That's a, that's a warm take. I like that one. That's a warm take. I like it. Uh, Brand Dolce and Ples Honeywood joining me on Oski Talk, uh, talking a lot about basketball today. Uh, if you missed our uh, fantasy Illinois draft, our, our all-time starting five plus our sixth men, uh, just go to the champagneroom.com. You can uh, listen to past episodes of the show, including this lovely episode we're working on right now. Uh, I'm going to shift just briefly here to football. Um, Plez, you're kind of our one of our recruiting guys, and uh, it's a big recruiting weekend for the Fighting Alana. We mentioned a little bit last week on the show about those recruits. Illinois had six in the span of about 36 hours that committed. Uh, two of them were from in-state. Uh, Plez, you had written an article about this week and the importance of it recruiting storylines to follow and then like Plez Tradamus, like two hours later <laughs> two of the things you mentioned in the post actually came to fruition you talked about who Illinois's next pass catching tight end would be and then boom they get Carson Kunkel from Pinckneyville and from downstate you said which Florida DB is going to see Devin Witherspoon getting picked fifth overall and want to come join DBU, and then boom, Vernon Woodward flips from the Badgers to the Illini. Um, you know, what are some of those other storylines to follow? What are you uh, What are you hearing about uh, on this visit weekend? Where Illini, the Illini have a lot of players uh, in the mix. So I, I think right now this class is really coming into form. Some of the stories that I'd be focusing on, I think the tight end position. They just got Conkle. Uh, there's a uh, Tanner Hollinger, a tight end from Nebraska, is going to be on campus. I think he's gotten offered. If I, he, he shared that he's been offered, so that's a recruitment I expect Illinois to close. Uh, they they had another uh, space for a tight end, another opening for rather for a tight end, and he's had good size, good versatility, some tools they can work with, and you know Bielema likes getting those toolsy players and coaching them up. So I think he'd be an excellent fit. Uh, one of the most exciting visitors this weekend is Khalil Valentine, who's a yep. four-star running back out of Arizona, who is a burner. He would be a good compliment. He and Lawfrey could be a good compliment to some of the big physical backs or Jordan Anderson's. I also want to make sure that I that I don't forget to mention Reggie Love, who I think is going to have a really good year this year. He just doesn't get talked about enough, but I, I want to make sure in the middle of this that I don't – forget to give him his flowers. But from a recruiting standpoint, this is a good time to watch some other Florida defensive backs. Uh, Chase Green and Amar Reynolds don't have a lot of power five offers, but I think we can trust this staff to evaluate defensive back talent, even if they're under-recruited. So I'd look for Illinois to maybe close down one of those recruitments. And I, I think the what could wind up being the biggest story is uh, Joe Barna. I've written about him before. He's an outside linebacker, edge rusher from the Chicago suburbs. For the people who say I'm too Chicago-centric in my recruiting column, he's not from Chicago. He's from Wheaton. And <laughs> he is an outside linebacker, pass rusher. Obviously, Charlie Bullen does a great job in that geographic territory and with that position group. 
and with some of the big time players, you know, Marquise Lightfoot was on campus oh. you know, early, early, earlier this week, a superstar from Chicago, Ken Wood. Like Illinois is bringing, they're bringing high end edge rusher talent and Joe Barna is a big 10 battle. The Badgers are in pretty deep in this recruitment. So if Illinois can find a way to snag him, that would be a gigantic win for a, a position group that, let's forget, we do get Gabe Ackes for two more seasons. We have Seth Coleman this year. We've got Jared Beatty and Trey Smith waiting in the wings. This is a really good group, and I'm excited to see how Charlie Bullitt not only recruits, but uses his experience coaching Chandler Jones and Hassan Reddick to take it to the next level. Absolutely. Um, so you can read that piece from Plez. It's up at thechampagneroom.com. And I want to give a shout out to one of our new guys, Idris. He put together a nice piece as well at the Champagne Room about uh, some of the, the top position groups entering fall camp. We know how loaded the DB room was. You lose four guys to the pros, but you still have Matt Bailey, um, I think uh, Tyler Strain, Xavier Scott, all guys that are going to uh, fill a, a nice role there. Um, he emphasized the safeties because of Matt Bailey and two of the incoming transfers, uh, Demetrius Hill from FIU and Nicario Harper from Louisville. Also focused on the O-line. We know Julian Pearl's coming back. That was a nice get, a nice re-recruitment of sorts for Brett Bielema. Zy Chrysler's back. Isaiah Adams is back. Both of those guys also had the opportunity to pursue the NFL and chose to return to Illinois. We know what Brett Bielema wants to do. He wants to win up front on both sides of the ball. And then you have the D-line, the law firm coming back. T-Rod Edwards, another guy that Idris mentions in his post. Um, Seth McConnell, another guy uh, that could be a depth option there. Um, what are some other position groups, both uh, for you, Plez, and for you, Brant? Um, wide receivers, kind of intriguing to me, but uh, Brant, I'll let you go first. You know, I, I think the obvious, uh, in, at least in my opinion, the, the obvious group that is kind of the, the bell cow, if you will, is the defensive line. I mean, you've got two guys that potentially could go in the first round next year, if not the second round uh, up front. Um, excellent last year. Um, and I think if you couple those with the, with the linebackers, both inside and outside that the front seven of Illinois is getting some national love, even in like some of the, like the big syndicate type articles where they're naming like the top four or five front sevens. And you got Georgia in there, you got Alabama in there, you got Ohio state, Michigan, and you got Illinois. And it's, it's interesting how fast, uh, Bielman has been able to enact his system and I was looking earlier, doing some prep for this. And if you look at just the size of the human beings he's bringing in, it's, I mean, it's not by coincidence. And if you look at the defensive line, you got Newton, who's 6'2", 295. Um, you've got, uh, from where I live currently, uh, Keith Randolph Jr. went to Belleville West, which is about three miles from where I'm sitting. 6'5", 305. You got three other guys that are 300 plus in the defensive line. And I know the secondary is not going to be obviously quite as good as it was last year with losing, you know, 75% of your starters at corner and safety to the NFL draft. That's not ideal, but I, I just go back to, did we know who any of those guys were a year ago from right now? I mean, we did a little bit, we had a pretty good idea, but 
we weren't expecting Spoon to be the number five pick in the draft. Like we weren't expecting Sidney Brown no. to be in the third round. Like you weren't expecting any of that. And I give the benefit of the doubt, you know, hashtag uh, Bielma 2027 college football playoffs. I give any benefit of the doubt to Bielema. I don't care who his coordinators are. I don't care if this, I don't care if Henry leaves. He'll find someone else. If the big guy's in there, if the head guy's in, he's gonna he's gonna teach him up, he's gonna coach him up. Hell, Ryan Walters, Mizzou just said, sure. You want him, you can have him. Yeah, by all means, if you want to take him, you can have him. And in so 24 months, he went from Mizzou didn't even want him to the head coach of Purdue in 24 months. So I, I just yeah. feel like from a front seven perspective, they are going to absolutely dominate some teams. And I don't care if they have Penn State on their jersey or if they have Michigan on their jersey. I don't really care. They're going to be – the physicality of the front seven is going to be just off the chart. It's going to be like – they got an NFL-style front seven. They just really do. I'm, I'm talking like Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, like kind of that AFC North, like every game's 13 to 10. Everyone's going to die maybe with – how much they're getting hit. I just feel like that's the position group to watch. And then I'll let Plez give his take in a second. The wide receiving room, as you said, you know, kind of know who everyone is now. I mean, there's not quite as many question marks as in the past. And I really feel like year two with Lunny, I think he's going to figure out a way to use some of these weapons a little better. Quarterbacks, in my opinion, a little more arm talent. I don't know if he's going to have a better year or not remains to be seen, but a lot of intriguing stuff. For me, the front seven is the most important thing. Plus, what do you think? Well, I, I think the wide receiver room is the most fun because we have three established, legitimate, no doubt, Big Ten starters coming back. And then we have all these young guys who we haven't gotten to see much of. Like, I, I, I hope Sean Miller can get healthy because I'm excited to see him. Colin Dixon, and especially Malik Elzey. Ian Pugh is a long-rangey target that, you know, for those of you who complain about me being too Chicago-centric, Ian Pugh didn't go to high school in Chicago. He went to Fenwick in Oak Park. Um, we have there, – there are so many talented young guys we haven't really seen much. And Hank Beatty, I'm, I'm interested to see what Hank Beatty does this year. I think there's – Also not from Chicago. He's from Rochester. Thank you. I do acknowledge there's more to the state than just Chicago and Champaign. I know. I know. There's Urbana, too. And what? and so because I've because I, I've seen some of the growth of some of these receiving prospects who have come in over the years, I, I think that Altmaier's success will be greater because he's coming into the deepest skill position room Illinois has had in a very long time. What, what yeah. are you expecting from Casey Washington? Hopefully, a better performance in the red zone. He's a good possession receiver. And I think he's he's been that. He's been a move-the-sticks receiver. I'd like to see a little more progression in the red zone. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But I, it's good points on all that. Like, I mean, it's amazing that we just have, to your initial point, like we actually have three people that we know can start and will start, and the other Big Ten coaches go, oh, those guys are still there? Huh, we're used to not knowing who any of these guys are. And as this starts to fill in, and I feel like it's, it's starting to get more layered in every position, not just on – offensive and defensive line like you're starting to get now to where you have your starters and then these guys are the next starters and um it's interesting and i just want to get your take on one more thing what what do you feel like from the safety position how do you feel like that's going to shake out this year if bailey is healthy i think 
Yeah, he was he was my uh, my hot take last year. I think he made some plays late. I think he's going to be a playmaker. Um, I I think that they they've overloaded. They've continued to get transfer safeties. That worried me a little bit. That they keep going back to that position with experienced transfers. Harper's going to be a more in the box guy, from what I understand. So if he can fill that role, then I think the safeties will be good. Nothing like last year. Now the following year with the, with the full year of experience under their belt, they might be way more dangerous, but this year is going to be a learning process. Hopefully I think coach Henry and coach Yo-Yo will spend a lot of time working with them and trying to get them up to snuff by conference play. Yeah. It's uh it's an intriguing group for sure. And uh, you brought up Casey Washington. I was going to think about that too. Like, you got Pat Bryant, you got Isaiah Williams. You know those two guys are, are in the fold and, and pretty good. You know, Brian Hightower was the you know, kind of the go-up-and-get-it guy last year. That Washington was kind of the year before that. Uh, I'm intrigued by those three guys. And I'm maybe I just haven't read enough stuff, but it feels like no one is really talking about Isaiah Williams at all. And, you know, he's a, a guy that he's not going to kill you down the field. That's not really his game. But his escapability, his elusiveness, and being a former quarterback, Brett Bielema talked about this, being a former quarterback, he just sees things that other receivers tend to not see. He understands coverages and looks and reads and all those things. He sees a different field than everybody else sees. So I think you got to look at him as, as a big-time factor. Um, I, I think he was like first-team preseason all Big Ten. But it feels like Everyone, the offense is all focusing on what's Altmaier going to do and how is the O-line? But then those other players, you know, the receiving core, the running backs aren't really getting as much attention as I think we should give them. I don't know how explosive the offense is going to be. I think to Brant's point earlier, Barry Lunny's offense is going to just keep just inching forward every year that first year. Uh, you mentioned you said vanilla last year. I don't know if it was vanilla per se, but trying to just figure out personnel, figure out groupings, and and figure out those kind of things makes sense to me. Uh, I I can see where you would you would get that. Um, quarterback is interesting to me as well because what happens if you know something happens to Almeyer? What happens? Do you throw in? Leary, do you throw in, you know, Swanson? Like, what do you do? So, I think that that's definitely something. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what you do. Probably at that point, throw on the towel would be my guess. Oh, yeah. Plus, you mentioned <laughs> just, uh, Paddock as well. Yeah, Paddock from Ball State, the uh, yeah. the transfer. He's going to be – he's probably going to be that uh, that Ryan Johnson kind of thing, like in case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> but, yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot. Yeah, he's coming in the grad transfer from Ball State. He's a walk-on, but – He's played a lot, and he's going to have a lot of experience, which I think uh, this this quarterback room definitely needs. Um, almost out of time here on the show. Thank you guys, uh, Pleasant Brant, for joining me again. We're going to go back to like the old hip hop stuff here for a second. We talked about Onyx and and Slam and the uh, the progressive commercial. Um, I heard a Jersey Mike's commercial today with uh, DJ Cool. Let me clear my throat. No, Danny DeVito jumping rope. To <laughs> very weird, very so, weird. So the reason the reason I wear headphones like this and not AirPods is because I used to DJ. I used to actually have the full two <laughs> tables and a microphone set up, 
And that was always in those days the first song I would throw on. Like that was that was the first that that's was a, the first record that's a I would good, throw on. Like hype song though to get them. Yeah, you get that. Where it's at? It's a great it's a great thing to do. Nothing's gonna top uh, scoop. There it is. I think that's kind of the that's oh, kind of the standard bearer for uh, oh, hip so nostalgia yeah. commercials. Maybe the best commercial I've ever seen. If not, certainly top five. <laughs> uh, nothing's going to top that. I think everyone's trying to kind of capture that. Um, yeah. So yeah, four foot ten, two hundred and sixty pound Danny DeVito <laughs> jump roping to DJ Cool uh, to sell submarine sandwiches. Jerky Mike's is by far the best subway. They are very good. They're very good. It's not a bygone Champaign-Urbana establishment, but it's pretty good. I think it's time for the uh, the dinosaurs to go back into the tar pits for the week, guys. I think we're. Uh, I, I think agree. Let the boys be boys. <laughs> it's a young man's game. It's a young man's game. Not everyone's Tom Brady. We can't go forever. So the young man's game without <laughs> a young man's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great stuff uh, in case you missed anything again you can go to the champagneroom.com uh, read the stuff from Brant from Plez awesome stuff to have all this great coverage in the off season when nothing's really going on our, our crew at the Champagne Room does phenomenal work so uh, kudos to all of them read the stuff listen to previous podcasts uh, if you so desire Plez Honeywood Brant Dolce always a blast having you guys on um We've got this. Uh, I think we we sort of were like, this is the most awkward threesome ever. Um, but I think we're going to have a lot more chats like this, a lot more uh, podcasts similar to this in the future. Maybe we'll see what happens, but always great having you guys here. And we'll have to do it again soon. Brant Plus, thanks again. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. ILL. I and I. I, and I.